Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hello, I'm Susan Violante. I'm your host for today. I'm really excited to be speaking on the phone with Mary DeGroote, author of Beyond the Last Horizon. The story follows the passage of five men and women, each chasing a different dream, stopping at nothing to fulfill their ambition. Their lives begin to overlap and strong bonds are created in this unlikely group. Friendships deepen through the journey of self-discovery and transformation. Their heartbreaking and inspirational journey will captivate and motivate all readers. But before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Mary. Mary is an executive-level professional with more than 20 years in marketing and communications experience within nonprofit marketing PR agency and corporate and commodity board environments. She seeks moderate adventure that has taken her to base camp on Mount Everest and on a wild ride with her son through the jungles from the border of Tibet to Kathmandu. Those and many more travel experiences in addition to the diversity of industry in which she has worked have fed her desire for expanded horizons. Beyond the Last Horizon is her debut novel. For more information on Mary and her book, visit her website at www.marydegroat.com and that is M-A-R-Y D-E-G-R-O-A-T dot com. Hi, Mary. How are you doing today? Hello, Susan. Very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being with us. I really enjoyed your book, and readers, I did read it. <laughs> this was a very good book. She has a few awards with Feather Quill, and she became our reader's favorite on a sponsor Feather Quill uh, special award. The book we're talking about is Beyond the Last Horizon by Mary DeGroat. Mary, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background for our listeners? Well, I uh, have been a marketing professional for 30-plus years, and uh, I love that profession. It's sort of the art and science of, of creative side plus the research of things. But over the course of years, I have discovered that my favorite part of the profession is writing, and that's what got me excited and enthusiastic. And so I, just a few years ago, decided to pursue it. And I'm happy to say that I've I've been able to spend the time to write this book as well as I'm almost done with the second book. And a third book has come to me that um, I'm trying to keep aside so that I don't become too unfocused and, and I want to stay on track with the second book. So things are coming along very well and I'm very excited about Beyond the Last Horizon and the response to the book. That's awesome. And it's no surprise for me because uh, when I read your bio, I realized just how many achievements <laughs> you have and how many awesome experiences you were fortunate uh, enough to live. So it's no surprise that you wrote at least one book and, and that you have more coming. How did you choose what to write about is what I wonder, because you have so many experiences in, uh, that I could see on your body. I can't imagine how many more you could even put in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, again, in my career life, I've been in uh, such a variety of industries, uh, corporate environments, nonprofit, arts and culture, all with the marketing, of course, but it gave me uh, information that and experiences that stimulated my imagination, I think, over the years. But the story actually chose me, I have to say. I was working with the California Strawberry Commission, and, and uh, that was a very exciting time in my life. And when I left that job, I came home and realized that I had time to actually write a story that had come to me years before. Uh, 
working full time, I was staying home one day for uh, waiting for a repairman. I was sitting on the outside on the deck and just looking out, and the story just started to unfold just out of the blue. It just became, it just revealed itself uh, as if a movie. It just became uh, more and more revealing, and the story started to develop, and the characters became more detailed, and I hit the mental pause button, deciding to take some notes. So I ran and got a pad of paper and a pencil and started taking notes, and then I hit the hit the start button again mentally, and the, this, this idea, this movie, just continued on and developed. So as I said, it, it's been year. It was years later that I didn't have time to actually write the book. It's um, awesome that you could save your notes and kept it at least in your goal line because a lot of times our life uh, takes us away from what we may dream or uh, have a vision and we just put it on the side and, and we never come back to it. So um, right. the funny thing is, I never, I didn't find the notes when it, when I found oh, no. the time to write it. I could not find my notes. But it didn't matter because this story had to come out. And I sat down at the computer and three months later, I just, I wrote day in and day out. And three months later, it was done. It just came to me again, even though it was years later. So it didn't matter that I didn't have the notes. And every day I, I woke up, I was so excited to find out what was going to happen to these people next. I just, I really didn't know at the time that I was writing it, what was going to happen. There were there so many little adventures, and I just let it go. I just, I, there were tributaries, there were all sorts of little backstories, and I just did not edit myself. I just let it all come out. And, of course, the hard part then, after it was all done, that uh, I had to lop off big chunks that didn't move the story forward in a more concise way. But it was such a, a an incredible experience to have this story come to me out of the blue mm -hmm. years later without my notes, have it come back to me and with actually some surprises day by day on, on who these characters were uh, becoming and their tribulations and their their machinations and, and all these misguided pursuits that they, they took on in, in pursuit of happiness and things that they felt that they wanted in life but essentially dug themselves into some holes and they made some uh, very bad decisions along the way. I actually really love your character development because they were they felt real to the point that I could actually identify with almost all of them uh, in a certain point of my life and uh, if not by my own experience by people that I've met, you know, in my own journey. So this is a fiction work, but I wonder, do they have a little bit of you, your own life experience, people you know? How how do you go about developing your character so real? Well, I wrote with my heart and my emotions. The creative part was certainly the mental, you know, just imagining things. But when I got to a point in the story for each of the five characters, I drew from an emotion, and each I, there's a little bit of me in every character, and it, you would, even people who are very close to me may not necessarily identify what those little bits of me are in each character. For example, one of my characters uh, is Hank Johns, and he's a man who was born an orphan to a, a prostitute in Las Vegas, and she dies at childbirth, so he's an orphan, and he goes from foster home to foster home, and he ends up becoming a drug dealer. Well, obviously, I'm not an orphan, and I'm not a drug dealer in Las Vegas. 
<laughs> but what is part of me in him? And I think I have to admit, I, I feel it's funny because they're all almost like children, but I think he's my favorite character because he came so far in the story, along in the story, and changed his life. But the part of me that I drew from so strongly was his love for his little boy. Yeah. He had never had a family. He met a girl, met and married a young lady uh, that he knew in high school, and they had a little boy together. And this little boy is, you know, I fell in love with this little boy, little TJ. So the dialogue between Hank and his little son was from my own love for mm-hmm. my son. So I'm really delighted to hear you say you felt that there was a, a realness, a reality to um, my characters, because in that case in particular, I drew on that reality of my love for my son. Another character, Carrie, who who has a storyline that is so different from all the others. She was born to a very wealthy family. She was lonely. She was very close to her grandfather, but her grandfather has an empire of uh, corporate global magnitude. Very wealthy man. And he's the only one that seems to understand her. And at six years old, he unexpectedly, she's six, he unexpectedly dies and leaves her his company. So everybody is astounded that a six-year-old is, you know, is, has inherited this global company. And, of course, she needs to grow up and meet some criteria, go to college and take over her position. She has to earn it. So her first day coming to her father's company uh, she starts in the mailroom, and she has a five-year internship that ends up giving her the experience in his company to eventually take over where she has rightfully uh, has the, the she owns the company. But the problem is she's she runs into some obstacles. The current president and the board of directors they all don't believe that this young young woman is capable of taking over this company. So she does have to prove herself. And she digs herself in a little bit. But what's part of me, of her, is her loneliness. I think when I was growing up, I was I was a very lonely person. Only ch- uh, I have a, an older brother, but he's 11 years older than I am. Oh, wow. So we, yeah. we grew up, you know, pretty far apart. So there was that loneliness that I tapped into. And the other characters are similar stories where yeah. it's just that emotion. And you did a wonderful job because, I mean, I, I come from a very weird, cultural, messed-up <laughs> uh, background, and I identify a little bit with everything. And especially with the topic of your book, you mentioned a quote. I think it was Einstein? Yes. Um, okay. And I found it to be very true because I remember imagining. The quote is, imagination is everything. It is the preview to life's coming attractions. And I remember when I was 13 years old in a little city that it was, there was nothing. I mean, you wouldn't see squirrels or anything around or it was just very dry. And I always, my parents were very strict post-traumatic stress survivors, World War II parents is what I grew up with. So they wouldn't let me do anything. But I was always daydreaming. And when I moved in Austin in 2009, I published um, also my my first book. I found myself trying to uh, get topics for an interview, and little by little I realized that, yeah, my house has squirrels, and that was something I wanted (laughs) at 13. And then, oh, look, they have deer too. (laughs) And I have my two little daughters, and I marry a guy with blue eyes because you didn't see blue eyes very often. (laughs) So it was like I made a list, and ever since then, 
I find still things that I imagine I wanted one day to do or and I have in one way or another lived lived them. You know, maybe not as I imagine a hundred percent, but I did get them. So I thought that your book is awesome because it is inspiring to people that might be in the situation I was when I was thirteen years old. Mm-hmm. Well, that was certainly the intention, and I did have a bit of a struggle. The publisher wanted this to be a self-help book mm-hmm. in the genre of self-help, and I, I resisted that so strongly because it's a creative story. The five characters' lives all come together. They entangle and entwine, and then finally together they create something really pretty pretty wonderful. But it is more about tapping into your vision and your imagination. For example, one exercise that I had, I started to do for myself years and years ago, I would make a list of things, and I started out the usual way. I wanted stuff. I wanted, you know, financial independence. I needed a new car. I saw myself in a particular kind of home in the mountains and that kind of thing, and, and I wanted to travel. And I just made this laundry list, and it was very material-based. But there was a lifestyle to it as well, wanting to spend time with family and friends and such. So I made this list. I just wrote it all down, let it all come, and this is what I want. And I put it aside. And three years later, it was as long as that, I happened upon this list. And I realized, oh, my gosh, everything on this list has happened except one. And that one thing was to see Mount Everest. And my son was graduating from Berkeley at that that year, and I called him up and I said, "Hey, you know what? Do you want to go to Everest?" And he goes, "Well, sure." (laughs) We called the care of that one. I said, "I have ten days. Get me to base camp and back. I don't care what I see in the middle. I just want to see Everest." And darn it, if we didn't do that, and I I fortunately had the means to do it, and so that was the last on the list of things that I was able to experience and, That's and awesome. have. So I thought, you know, and this is all really based on faith mm-hmm. in yourself and the universe. And, you know, I've, I've studied metaphysics. I've been with a meditation teacher since 1985. I don't meditate regularly, but I tell you, it, it's it's a wonderful thing to do when you do it. But there is something. It's like planting a seed. You know, you look mm-hmm. at nature. The example is all around you. You plant a seed. There's really, if you if you break down a seed, there's actually, keep taking down the layers, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. But what is it that's making that seed with a little bit of nurturing water and sun grow into an oak tree or whatever it, its fullest potential is, a beautiful blossom, a full rose or anything? But the point is you plant the thought is the seed. Mm-hmm. Your idea is the seed. And with focus and some effort, which equate to the water and the sun, that will come to fruition. Yeah, in my opinion, I think that if we can imagine it, it actually gives you mm-hmm. the possibility to realize that it's not so impossible. Exactly. And that's what I found. Even what I'm doing now was something that I imagined before that I would love to do. I work out of my home office almost every day. I, I don't have to wear heels, which I did for 25 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> and dress in a certain uh, coat. But it's my own vision. It was what I like. Now I, yeah. uh, you know, I got to myself to a point where, you know, I decide how I'm going to look today, and I decide what I'm going to do today. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with whether I, you know, want material things. You know, it was, to me it was more like independence 
and being capable of deciding which opportunity I'm going to take. Because I grew up in a place where there weren't that many opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I think that your book shows this, you know, that with a little resolve and persistence and faith, doesn't matter where you are, you just daydream, you can get it. That's right. You know? And since we're touching into the resolve and persistence topic, I want to find out how did you deal, because I know all, we all deal with writing blocks. There's going to come a time where you're going to sit there and you're like blank. So how did you work your way through that? Well, uh, this book, it didn't happen once, not once. Oh, wow. It just, as I said earlier, just revealed itself day in and day out. I would get up at 7 or 8 in the morning and write, and suddenly my husband's walking in the door at 5 or 6 o'clock. I would be writing all day with nonstop. So that didn't happen with this book. But I did know... And I'm noticing with this second book that when it stops, it stops. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, it didn't frustrate me at all. The The ideas flowed, and they would flow currently with the second book. They're flowing for an hour, maybe a couple of hours, and then mm-hmm. they stop. So, okay, I guess we're done today. So I don't force it. I don't sit there and stare at the screen and think, oh, let's see, it's not work. So I get up and I go do something else. Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specialized in interviewing published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life experience as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. Always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcasts, as well as MP3 download from your computer for your convenience. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Today I'm talking with Mary DeGroat, author of Beyond the Last Horizon. Stay tuned because we are going to continue this interesting and inspiring conversation with Mary about choosing what to write about, using her own emotions in her writing, dealing with writer blocks, and so much more. But in the meantime, you can check out Beyond the Last Horizon by visiting Mary's website at www.marydegroat.com, and that is M-A-R-Y-D-E-G-R-O-A-T.com. The thing is, it seems to have a life of its own because sometimes it'll wake me up in the middle of the night and I oh my gosh, okay, that's the direction we might go and what if this and what if that happens and so I I don't get up. I try to go back to sleep, but I hold on to that and that's what happens the next time the next morning when I sit down to write again, the ideas start to flow again. So I don't take writer's block as something that is I'm, you know, I'm not deadline driven, so I guess that I have that luxury. If I had deadlines, as I did certainly when I was working in marketing, that's a whole different story. But it was also more technical writing. You know, you get creative mm-hmm. about the ad copy and such. But you know, it's different. So with the book, it really um, I have not. I wouldn't call when I end up stopping writing. If I'm done for the day, I'm done for the day, and I don't worry about it. It's again letting it happen naturally. 
it's when you're writing, um, as I described again earlier, that you're writing. And I, you know, there were characters in this first book and beyond the first, the last horizon that are no longer in this book. They were written in the first manuscript, and I took them out because they didn't they didn't add anything to the movement of the story. Mm-hmm. But I had an I had a great time writing about their lives and what they were doing and but now I did save those notes in case they decide they need their own book written but you know I I just let it go and again when that when that energy or movement is alive and your the ideas are coming I I write and when they stop I stop yeah that's a perfect way to do it you have you mentioned a, a marketing background and you know I do a lot of promotional stuff for my authors as well but when it comes to myself, I tend to be more – I get my writer's block when it comes to my own projects. <laughs> Funny you should say that, yeah. I wonder if it's the same thing with yeah. you. Cause <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why is it so know, different? I could write a book, but I could not write the back cover. <laughs> I could not write the two paragraphs that are on the back of this cover. I agonized over it and then tweaked it and drove my friends and family crazy crazy. What do you think of this? Does this make sense? Is this compelling? It was horrible. I really needed somebody else to write the back cover for me. And so I I don't know what that was about. I just couldn't boil the whole story down into something very, you know, mm-hmm. succinct. And I actually did end up finally drafting it uh, and submitting it. I gave it to the publisher, and I said, you guys, you need to write this. And they did, and to be honest, I wasn't um, – we, we worked on it together. So, <laughs> so it's what it is. But to absolutely, to answer your question, it, it was that was the hardest part. Yeah. I don't know what it is with, with your own project, but I think there's too much feelings about it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of uh, doesn't let you see all the angles or who knows. You well, know, you're stuck too. with one idea. Yeah, and also the the genre. I mean, you really, Marketing 101 for or Publishing 101, you must know your genre and the audience to whom you, you mm-hmm. feel would be would enjoy this book. And as I said early on, again, they, you know, the publisher wanted this, thought this would be either chick lit or self-help. They're two very extreme things. And so I just said, how about inspirational fiction? Because it really is more, first foot forward, it's entertaining. You get to know these people, these characters, and the roads they choose for themselves and how they make their decisions and reset their lives. They essentially are resetting their lives. So there's that inspiration aspect of it, and it truly is my hope. And I'm so delighted to hear you say that you got that point of the book, that it may inspire people to identify something that they've been unhappy about in their own lives for a couple of weeks or a you know, months or years or forever, but you have that power. You have the ability, really, mm-hmm. to take that and reset it, to sit down and use your imagination. What would it be like? For our listeners that are just coming in, I want to let them know that the book we're talking about is Beyond the Last Horizon, and we're talking to Mary the Groat. And your website actually is very well produced because I learned a lot about your book, but I learned a lot about yourself too. And I don't know about everybody else, but I do want to connect with the authors that I'm reading and, and get to know what they're made of. And and I realize that we have so many things in common once I read your bio. So check it out at www. 
marythegroat.com, and that is M-A-R-Y-D-E-G-R-O-A-T.com. Tell me a little bit about what do you think that you would tell yourself before writing and publishing this book that you have learned through the journey of becoming an author? Well, it was a gift that the idea for the book came to me and unfolded the way it did. And the third book that I will be writing came the same way. It was in the middle of the night, and the idea came to me, and it started to roll as if a movie. Uh, The next morning I got up, wrote the first chapter, and then the outline and put it aside. What I've learned, uh, several things, actually. Don't stop it. Don't self-judge. Don't edit yourself while you're letting that creative flow go. Just Mm. let it go. And I did that just quite organically or naturally with with this first book, Beyond the Last Horizon. And then I read Stephen King's book on writing a memoir of, of the craft, and he advises the same thing. Just let it go. Just sit down. Don't edit. Just don't worry about the typos. And Bird by Bird, Some Instructions on Writing and Life by Anne Lamott, she says the same thing. Mm-hmm. There was a third book, and I hadn't read either of those books until after writing my first book. But I had read Zen of Seeing by Frederick Frank. And that book was critical because it gave me permission for me. This was my own personal experience. It's written for artists, for people who love to draw or paint. But it doesn't matter. It's the creative spirit. It's for anyone who has that creative spark but tends to hold themselves back. And this book, the, The Zen of Seeing, gave me, for my own purposes, kind of a permission to just go for it, just do it, you know, just do it for yourself. Don't worry about what other people are going to think or whether they're mm-hmm. going to like it or hate it or whatever. And I, most artists feel that way. If, if you're really an artist, and I'm the daughter of an artist, and I remember my father saying this, he painted for himself. He didn't paint a blue painting because it matched someone's couch. He wanted to evoke some kind of emotion, whether they hated the painting or loved the painting or, you know, some something that they could enjoy about it, whether it was um, whether they liked it or not. So you're evoking some kind of engagement with the viewer or the reader. So I've learned that. The hardest part, getting back to your to your point about marketing, though, in the publishing world. I spent years looking for a publisher. I went to New York. I had the opportunity to be a part of a small group of people who were brought in to pitch uh, the big guys, the big boys. Uh, Random House was there. And they gave us great ideas and feedback on our pitches. (laughs) Nobody got picked up. And, you know, I'm realizing that self-publishing isn't, the stigma that it was some years ago. I mean, so many people are self-publishing. This book is, uh, I went with a, a publisher that's It's kind of a, a quasi-hybrid, uh, it's a hybrid publisher mm-hmm. where they have some skin in the game, but I've paid them to do a bit of the publishing as well. But the marketing, even if you're with Random House, you, you have the job of marketing mm-hmm. almost on your own. They have the connections, but boy, it's something that, you have to work very hard at, and I have learned that. And then also there's just things you you need to know before you get your book published. 
you know, sending it out for reviews and going after the agents if that's the path you want to take. There are certain steps that you need to take even before the book is published. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was a big lesson learned because I just kind of plowed ahead and uh, finally just signed up with Windy City Publishers and subsequently have found that, well, I probably should have done this a little bit differently. So I would just encourage anybody who's writing, self-publishing, to, first of all, don't give up. Um, but secondly, it's all right to pursue self-publishing or a hybrid publisher. It's it's so rewarding. It's just it's a wonderful experience. It is, and it can open so many doors for your next work. A lot of authors just think of this first book, and then they're happy, and they stay with their book. And there's plenty of people that just can't stop creating books. And, you know, I, I found myself to be one of them. I, I just have so many ideas, I get lost. It's like, it, you know, you can't do all of them, but you can right, certainly right. keep producing, and each book will teach something new. Yes. And yes. so if you do it yourself, it's amazing the wealth of knowledge that you get. I really enjoy talking to you, Mary, and unfortunately we're running out of time. I want to tell our listeners, again, check out Mary DeGroud book, Beyond the Last Horizon, when a few awards with Feather Quail, including... The Reader's Favorite and Reader Views, which was a special award that we sponsored through Feather Quill. I really, really want to know what would you tell any, or what advice would you give any person that is in the creative, inspirational type of environment that are beginning their own projects? What word of encouragement would you give them before we go? Well, try to afford yourself to have your own personal experiences and just pay attention to how those experiences make you feel. As I mentioned, the characters were drew from my own emotions. Pay attention to those emotions. And again, don't stop yourself. Just write, just draw, just dance, just sing. Do it for yourself. Well said, Mary. Again, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, listeners, check out Beyond the Last Horizon by Mary DeGroat. And her website is www.marydegroat.com. And that is M-A-R-Y-D-E-G-R-O-A-T.com. Mary, thank you so much for being with us again. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Susan. And listeners, thank you for being here. And until next time. <laughs>